You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Good morning, Andrew Atkinson. Good morning, Brett. I called you Andrew in our city group the other night, and some people are like, "Who's that?" <laughs> I was like, "Some people shorten people's names. I actually elongate them. I think it's it's my legal name." Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's 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 something I do. Um, well, it's middle of September. It's almost cool outside. It, it feels really good outside today. It could be it could be cooler. I like it a little cooler. I, I like, like fire pit weather. Is my favorite weather. Fifties, fifties. I think 50s is ideal for me. It's coming. It's coming. Soon, people. Be ready. Well, we are back in the chopping block, kind of reflecting on our most recent sermon series, which recently being, we've been in it a long time, First Peter. Spent 19, wo- 19 weeks in the letter of First Peter, which was by far our longest se- series in the time that you've been at City Life. Indeed. How was it? How was that? How was that preaching through a book for that long? Uh, it was better than when I tried to preach through Deuteronomy. Yeah, you've told me about that before. It <laughs> did not go well. <laughs> uh, didn't map that one out as well. So, uh, no, I mean, I think it's it's really healthy um, uh-huh. to just anchor down in a text and to, to work through it slowly, especially in epistle, which you know, is different than preaching historical narrative or prophecy probably wouldn't tackle those the same way that we tackled first Peter. I think a letter, you know, is written in the form of rhetorical argument. Yeah. And so it, it makes more sense to slow down and kind of work verse by verse, phrase by phrase to really try to unpack, Hey, what's, what's the argument Peter is making here? Yeah. What's the appeal Versus, you know, a, a narrative discourse that's telling a story, and the, there's a point to the story. There's yeah. a reason why that was included in Holy Scripture, but you're maybe not zeroing in as much on particular words that bear huge theological right. impact. Um, at times you are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know. Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Yeah, that's huge. You need to pitch a tent and camp out there a while, right? Um, but generally speaking, you're working through a narrative discourse differently than you're working through an epistle. And so I think it was a, it was appropriate for us to go slower, to yeah. move slower. And, and I think one thing I've kind of noticed is, you know, sometimes we have these quick hitter sermon series like we'll be in Jonah for four weeks and in in just a little bit preview uh and those are good and and God does things can bring things to the forefront really quickly and clearly and sometimes it's just a it's a it's a catalyst for a conversation we're having as a church when you're in a longer series like this I really feel like you begin to learn the author's voice Mm. and kind of like feel like you're living with Peter for a little bit living with Jesus right through Peter but I feel like you just start to go, okay, this, like, I kind of understand more of, of 
of what he's after, the aim of this letter, right? What what the situation on the ground was. You start to feel like you're his audience, and so I think, I think the the feedback I've gotten is that people got a lot from this sermon series, and one of the reasons because we did move slowly and and just set ourselves in the text for a long uh, uh, for nineteen weeks, which I think brought a lot out uh, for our people. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I trust we trust the Holy Spirit, right? right. That he's used it and it's, it's been edifying and challenged us where we need to be challenged and encouraged us where we need to be encouraged. And, um, but man, what a, what a, what an incredible letter. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many remarkable truths, um, in, in five short chapters. Well, what do you, maybe one more thing about just sermon planning and sermon series. I know cause I see our sermon schedule that when you are plotting out a, a series and you're plotting out different texts in the book, you're kind of putting what you think will be the, the kind of idea of that text, the topic, whatever you want to call it, you know, but be it suffering, be it grace, be it justification. And often as you were studying through, or as we were studying through this letter together, we ended up in a little bit different place on the actual Sunday morning that sermon was preached. So, can you talk a little bit about that process and, and whether was there anything surprising as as we preached through it this time? Is this your first time preaching through first, first Peter or second? All the way through, I think it's my first. Was there anything surprising as you kind of led us through this series? I can't remember. Um I think I was hit this time working through it. Uh just how often Peter's dealing with the theme of suffering. Yeah. I think I've, I really felt that I felt the distance. Um, what do you mean the, by the, the cultural distance between first century Asia minor and 21st century yeah. United States, like going, there's a, there's a, a significant cultural disparity. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so kind of, bridging that gap from here's the situation that these believers in Asia minor are facing and here's our situation. And how does this text actually still speak to us? Um, on that theme of suffering, I, I think I really felt that tension. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing that just, you know, and Peter just keeps coming back to it. I mean, yeah, it, it's really a theme of the letter of suffering. Well, uh, suffering for doing good versus suffering for for evil, and um, not being surprised by that suffering. That this yeah. is part of the Christian program. I think was the language I used. That this is um, to be expected. Jesus mm -hmm. suffered. We're his followers. We should expect to suffer. Um, he just keeps coming back to it. And so, yeah, that that was something that um, I just felt as I was kind of preparing week to week. Going okay. We're back here again. We're back on this theme. Yeah. Theme again. So that was one thing I think. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think for me, a couple things that stand out, you know, if you, if I were just be really gene general about the letter, it kind of starts out with like a, the theological identity, the gospel identity of who these readers are, who the church is. And then he has a call for them about how they are to live. And then he goes in on suffering for, a chapter and a half, whatever, essentially like this is who you are. This is how you live. If you live like this, you will suffer. Yeah, this is going to happen. And so I think that for me 
was something that stood out? Like we, we've had that conversation in Citigroup a couple of times that just your kind of phrase that you used a couple of times, I think, was, um, you know, are you living in such a way that at some point your life confronts or conflicts with the culture around you? Yep. Or are you simply assimilating? And I think Peter really makes you wrestle with that. Yep. Like, am I living a distinctly Christian life? Because if you are, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes upon you. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the very beginning of like, you're an elect exile. You know, you're this, you're, you're chosen by God. Yeah. And by virtue of that, you don't fully fit in. You're a sojourner. You're on your journey home, but this world isn't ultimately yeah. your home. And so you're going to feel a dissonance between your heavenly citizenship and living in the city of man, living in this world. Um, you should as yeah. a believer. Um, and I think we got to be really careful there. We don't want to start putting a prescription on what exactly that means or looks like. Right. That plays out in many different ways. But, yeah, that, that exile well, theme is. Yeah. And the other thing I think about, and this was not on our pre-show notes, our pre-show discussion, so I'm surprising you here on air. Uh, but we talked about in City Group this week as well. Like, it feels like Peter is, feels like the second coming of Christ is imminent. Mm. It feels like he's like, hey. He is coming, and it's soon. And we know the word soon biblically means lots of different things, but but this this you talked about Advent world, the second Advent return of Christ seems to be on the forefront of Peter's mind as he's trying to encourage, comfort, console these uh, believers. And and I don't know, like I had someone in our group that was just like you know that was two thousand years ago, and we're still here waiting. And sometimes in the waiting. He was like, it's not that I don't believe in the second coming of Christ. It's just like, oh, it probably won't happen in my lifetime. It hasn't happened in 2,000 years. Like, right. Just how that should be a something that we are thinking about as right. Christians, how it should daily affect our lives and, and be a part of our our walk with Jesus, like this, this reality that he is coming. Mm-hmm. He's returning. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that's something we – yeah, I mean, I think you see the same thing in the Old Testament with the imminence of the first coming of Messiah. Right. There's this expectation that it's going to happen soon. Um, and then there's this long stretch. That's good. Yeah. You know, and so um, there's a fancy phrase for um, kind of how prophecy works. Um, it's this idea of prophetic uh, foreshortening, which is the idea that the prophets seem to be talking about something that's just over the hill. It's like just around the corner. Uh, when in reality, like there's what they're seeing in 2d is actually this three dimensional reality of you get over that hill and there's a whole other mountain range. Mm. And so, you know, that's how they saw the Messiah. They yeah. saw that as synonymous with the day of the Lord. When Messiah comes, the kingdom's reestablished and that's the end judgment, the whole deal. And what they saw as one coming was actually two comings. Yeah. You know, so Christ has come, but he's coming again. And then you have New Testament believers doing the same thing with these prophecies of Christ's return. These, these assurances that I'm coming again soon. They're going, man, that's just around the corner. Uh 
And the reality is that like God's wisdom and God's plan is so much more elaborate and beautiful, but also complex than they can imagine. And so what they're seeing as just around the corner is in God's plan a lot longer. And one of the reasons for that is so that more people can be brought into the family of God. Yeah. More people can believe. And um, he's not, you know, Peter says it in his next letter, the Lord's not slow yeah. as some would count slowness, but is patient. Um, so that's good, man. That's um, really helpful. That old Testament perspective, prophetic perspective is really helpful. Um, man. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate those words. And that actually brings us to our sermon this week because you kind of started with this idea that we are Easter people who are living in an Advent world. This reality that we are people who follow and are indwelt by the risen Christ. We know the end of the story. The victory's already been won, but we still live in a fallen world. We still live, uh, we still deal with death and the devil and our flesh. We still wrestle with indwelling sin. And so we're, we're Easter p- people living in an Advent world. And you just gave us some encouragements about how we do that, how we live in the in-between, these two comings, these two Advents. And, and man, I heard lots of people encouraged by those words because we feel this. We feel this tension on a daily basis. I'm, I go to church. I feel alive. I feel refreshed in Jesus. And then I get up Monday morning and I'm dealing with it again. Yep. Or I read the news or someone sins against me and hurts me. I sin against someone else. I fall back in addiction. Like this is this is the tension we feel on a daily basis. Yep. And you kind of started with, hey, there are four kind of four encouragements for how we live this way. The first one was like, hey, be comforted in the in between because God cares for you. Verse six of chapter five reads, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. The God of the universe, star breather, cares for us. And you essentially said, like, this is this is the essence of the Christian faith. You have this Karl Barth, this really incredible theologian that, that wrote huge volumes of theology saying, hey, I could distill all that down to Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yep. Why is that what we need to come back to? Why is, like, for the believer who's been walking for 40 years, the believer who's been walking for four months, the believer who's got a seminary degree, the believer who, you know, didn't finish high school, why is that for all of us what we need to come back to? Yeah, because we don't believe it. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, you, there's also nothing more profound in the whole world than that. There's nothing more scandalous and insane, like trying to wrap your head around that uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, mighty God who has no needs cares for us. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make, there's nothing more profound than that thought. And we just don't believe it. I mean, we, our city group meets on Sunday nights. And so we were, we kind of camped out on, on this thought for yeah. a while. And we just really struggled to believe it. We default to this performance mentality of like, God cares for me if I 
do well or God cares for me if I check the box or we just tend to run to performance or we just struggle to believe in general that God's God's preoccupied with other things and he he doesn't care that much about me. Yeah. And what Peter's telling us is, no, he cares about you. He's paying attention to you. He loves you. Mm-hmm. It's just remarkable. Um, to re- I mean, I would just encourage you, like spend some time there this week. Mm-hmm. Like just can give a due consideration to God's care for you. Yeah. One of the things that we got into in our city group was just how we can read our own uh, father story uh-huh. and our own you know, maybe daddy wounds into our relationship with God, the father. And some of us may struggle to believe that God cares for us because we had an earthly father that didn't exemplify that in our lives. Yeah. Or we had, maybe, maybe we'd go, man, I know my dad loves me, but he's not the type of person that I can actually cast my cares upon. He's not the person, he's not the type of person I could go to with any struggle, any concern, any care, or any joy, anything, yeah, and just go, Dad, I want to bring you in on this. Like, I want you to share this burden with me. I want you to share this joy with me. Like, I, I just want to, I, I want to cast it all on you. A lot of us don't know what it is to do that. We've, we haven't experienced that sort of intimacy with our earthly father. And so we read that into yeah. our heavenly father. And there's a disconnect there. And the reality is, is if you don't believe God cares for you, you'll never trust him with your life. Yeah. You'll never trust him with your life, and you'll never experience the life that Jesus came to offer you. You'll hedge your bets. Yeah, or you'll create a workspace religion where you're just, you're doing great if you feel like you had a great week and you've earned his love and, and care, and, and you'll be doing poorly on the weeks where it doesn't go well. You'll just capitulate between self-righteousness and self-loathing depending on how well you're judging yourself to be doing. I mean, it's it's like the older brother in the prodigal son story where the father goes out to him and his reaction is, all these years I've been slaving for you. Yeah. Like that's that's not healthy father-son relationship. That's a very works-based, proving myself, you owe me sort of a mentality very different than what Peter's telling us here. Like God cares for you. And I think one of the things we have to be mindful in this conversation is the second kind of thing you encourage us with is that we have an enemy. So be watchful. Is that how you said it? Yeah. See, we have an enemy seeking to devour us. So be watchful. So be watchful. The enemy loves to come in and, create this distance between us and God and that he cares for us by lying to us, by lying to us about who we are or by lying to us about who God is and what's true. So you have this, you know, verse, be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil is prowling around like a lion looking for anyone he can devour, resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The devil, you, you made a, comment that there was a New York Times article that Barna essentially said something like 75%, 72-75% of people don't believe the devil is real. I think if you look at the those who claim to be Christian, the numbers, it's not that much better yep. when it comes to believing in real spiritual beings, angels and demons, and the devil. Yep. Man, could you just 
help us. Well, let's do this first. Why do you think that's reality? Why do you think it's so many of us don't believe in these obviously biblical realities that these spiritual beings are real, that the devil's real, that there is a real spiritual realm all around us? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say at the functional level, we live that way. Even if we would confess that we believe these things are true, functionally we're atheists a, a lot of times, and functionally we're, I don't know what the term is for not believing in Satan. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, I, you know, I kind of, I teased this out a little bit in the sermon that yeah. um, there's been massive cultural shifts in the last few hundred years, and we now live in a world where the pervasive worldview on the supernatural is that it doesn't exist, mm. that everything can be explained materially and naturalistically. Um, so we're, we're, we're combating that ideology and worldview by default. We're natural born skeptics. We're born into that world. That's the air we breathe. Mm. And so to even talk about it, people real quickly start going, you're, you're weird. You're strange. If you're, if you're living as if these things really exist. Um, and then I think part of us are also going, I don't want to be the person who's hyper sensational when it comes yeah. to the spiritual, um, where, you know, the devil's in the soundboard and, you know, the devil made me do it. And, right. Um, that can get really unhealthy. And so I think, I think we just very easily fall into living our lives without giving much thought, um, or mention to, the, the real presence of, of a spiritual enemy of Satan and, and demons. Yeah. Um, the problem is like the Bible just holds those categories before us like regularly, like a reality. Yeah. Like it, this is, this is fact. Like yeah. this is the real world. The really real world is a world of angels and demons and spiritual battles. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately most of us have had our view of the devil informed by what what we might call folk theology, like pitchfork and horns yeah. and TV shows, movies, pop culture, you know, songs, like just things that, that have given us a picture of the devil and how he works that can't really jive with what the Bible says about him. Right. So here's a question. What is, you know, we can pendulum swing either way. What's a healthy right way of thinking about the devil? Uh, man, that's a loaded question. Um, but one is that he's real, that yeah. we have a real adversary, Yeah. Um, that he um, he wants to devour us. So if you're a believer, he can't take away your salvation, but he wants to take away your witness, and he wants to take away your joy. Um, and, you know, that there are fallen angels yeah. who the enemy deploys. Um and the way that he works is is not in this folk religion sort of way, but you know Paul talks about. I think I quoted it in Second Corinthians ten that we take um, strongholds captive yeah. by bringing them to Christ. It's worldviews, it's ideologies, it's it's the way that you think. Um, Satan works through ideas. Uh, he works through the media. You know that that we need to begin to see the world as beyond the physical, like that, that behind all of those things is an enemy. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we maybe a, a healthy place to go is the book of Job. Yeah. Where we see, I mean, there's several several ways that we can begin to build a theology there. One, like Satan can only do what what God allows. That that Satan doesn't have absolute authority or power. That he he functions under the sovereign control of Almighty God. Um, but that he's behind even even like Job's sickness. Um, that there's an enemy behind that. Um, and that ultimately what Job, what, what Satan is aiming to do with Job is to get him to renounce God and to lose faith. And yeah. that's the aim of the enemy is to just um, conquer our faith and defeat us. Um, but that there is a certain power that Satan has um, even over like calamity and yeah. natural disaster. And, and somehow that still fits in with the sovereignty of God God rules over that. Um, but we need to see the world um, in that sort of a way where God has absolute authority and, and sovereignty, but that Satan underneath that um, is is active and at work. Yeah. And, you know, working for our destruction. And and we do well to, to know that, to pray against that. To, mm-hmm. um, but the way that we do that is not to freak out and to fear. Right. You know, Peter says, resist him, firm in the faith. And so there's a defensive act, but then there's also an offensive act, which is to um, grow in our faith, press into Jesus, you know, through word and prayer. Um, That strengthens us to resist the devil. You know, James tells us that if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. Draw near to God, resist the devil, he'll flee. Yeah. Um, So we don't have to fear. Yeah. And I think that, you know, maybe a closing thought here, verse 10 the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Your point was your future is assured, so be hopeful. So I think part of having a right view of the devil is is, is his power is limited. Right. He's powerful. He's more powerful than us in and of ourselves, but it's limited. Yep. He's not as powerful as God. This is not a one-on-one heavyweight battle. This is a heavyweight versus a, a featherweight. Um, and there's only one who has dominion forever. Yeah. That's God. Yeah. I mean, different analogies to put to use here, but like kind of that D-Day, V-Day analogy of like, hey, man, Jesus has already taken the taken the beach. Right. Right. The battle's won. Um, Satan's now like scrambling as a defeated foe. And he's, you know, deploying all of his minions yeah. um, to to cause to wreak havoc and to cause harm. But ultimately, he already knows victories guaranteed yeah. for the allies. And so, um, you know, even Jesus's language of like the strong men being bound, like they, we know that the kingdom is advancing because the king has come and forces of darkness are being cast out and. And so Satan's on a leash. He's 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 limited, um, but he's raging like that, you know, animal that's backed into a corner. Yeah, and and trying to do all he can to cause as much havoc as he, as possible. Yeah, and it was super powerful for you to say that the devil is resistible. Like he says, resist him. So that means he's resistible. It's not a foregone conclusion that you have to believe the lies of the enemy and live in light of them. That's right. And, and, you know, if we can circle back to our start, one of the best ways 
you can combat the enemy's work in your life is to really believe that God cares for you. Yep. As you seek him in the word and you pray to him, casting all your cares upon, upon him, that is one of the most powerful ways you can resist the devil's work in your life. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, it's been a great series, man. First Peter is powerful. I'm thankful, and, and we're praying. We're praying for what the Lord did through this book and is going to do as we ruminate it on it. And even as people go back years from now and, and reread and go, man, I remember what was said on a Sunday morning at Sea Life Church. And one, of the, one of the great mysteries of, of preaching and the power and the authority of the Scriptures is, like, I can remember very few sermons in, yeah. in the sense of like like looking back on my journey and go, man, I can put my finger on like what was actually said and remember, you know, these these moments. Um, very few of those. And yet I know that through sitting under the preach word week after week, month after month, year after year, the Holy Spirit, did, you know, has done work in my heart and my life, sanctifying me and working in me. And, and that's the beauty of preaching through books of the Bible is like we, we trust the Holy Spirit to bring real change, to bring yeah. real transformation. Um, you know, even seeding ideas um, that the Spirit's going to draw out later and, and use in, in different ways. Or So it's just, it's fun. It's freeing and fun. Yeah. Amen. You know, to have that sort of a theology of preaching in the Word to go, the Spirit does the work. Right. But, but God is working, and he's transforming. Right. So. Well, we're thankful for your faithfulness, and uh, we're excited to get into the Devoted series next week and start talking about the kind of church God calls us and is calling us to be. So we'll catch you next week. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.